I made a list of what characteristics I want God to be, what, what I want God to look like for me. And I wanted this compassionate God and this loving God and this God of e equality. And, you know, I redefined who God was for me. Um, and that really began a process for me to begin this faith journey again. Hello and welcome to Out Loud. Out Loud is a podcast by and for queer people of faith in the South. Here we tell our stories of varied religious upbringings, messy coming outs, and the gift of community with one another. I'm your host, Greg Thompson, and the voice you just heard was Alan Whitley. Raised Catholic and a native to Nashville, Tennessee, Alan now has a home in the United Methodist Church. He works at Cumberland Heights, an alcohol and drug treatment center here in Nashville, where he specializes in substance abuse. My conversation with Alan is a journey of finding self-worth that I know so many of us go through. After coming out, Alan struggled with his faith to the point that he turned to drugs and alcohol. He went into recovery and will celebrate seven years of sobriety next month. He has since found a home in Glendale United Methodist Church, which has put meaning and ministry back into his life. And Glendale is also one of our community partners this season. Glendale UMC is inclusive, affirming, and reconciling, finding God's love for all people. Where you come from or where you're going, what you believe or what you doubt, what you're feeling or just not feeling, what you have or don't have, and no matter who you love or how you identify, all of who you are is welcomed into Glendale's community of faith by a God who loves you and knows you by name. If you're new to the area, looking for something different, don't have a background of going to church or anything in between, you are welcome at Glendale. They are a faith community that includes people of many diverse backgrounds and faith journeys, old and young, raised in the church, new to church, those from other denominations and faith traditions, and some who question it all. Come as you are to worship on Sundays at Glendale at 10 a.m. in person or on their live stream on Facebook, and you can learn more at Glendale UMC. Org. And now, let's hear from Alan Whitley. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, when, uh, when we first spoke a few weeks ago, uh, before um, sitting down to do this interview, um, something that you said really resonated um, with me and why I do this show um, you said telling my story helps heal me, and um, yeah, I, I've I've just noticed that for myself and for others too. And so I'm just really excited to um, to have a fuller conversation with you tonight and to kind of open up your story a bit. And um, and so where I kind of want to start is just talking about your faith. Um, could you tell me um, a bit about what your faith was like growing up, just to get us started? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so growing up, I, I, I grew up Catholic uh, here in Nashville. Um, wonderful, loving family. And um, faith was really important to me, even as a young child. Um, I was actually just thinking about this the other day. 
um, and how religion really played a major role in my life. Um, I went to Catholic school in Nashville, kindergarten through eighth grade, and then went to um, Catholic school and in high school, um, ninth through twelfth. And it, you know, as an adolescent, it really played a huge role in my life. Um, I describe my my faith story as I always say I was I was the one who had strong faith, lost it, and then found it again when I hit that teenage about 17 that's when i really slowly kind of began to question what catholicism meant to me and and what religion in general meant to me mm-hmm. what did um what did it mean to you growing up kind of in those early years before you were 17 yeah it was it was so important for me um i felt like that it it instilled I think principles in my life. Um, and there was some sort of comfort for me to know that there was something that was bigger and better than me that could love me unconditionally. And that gave me some sort of comfort, I think, because I was, I was a really emotional uh, kid, adolescent. I was an anxious child. Um, yeah. I, I felt everything. Um, and so I think that, I think religion, it really, in that relationship, that introduction to God gave me some sort of comfort, some sort of peace that I was looking for um, as a young person. Um, and, you know, I really dove into to my faith. Um, as I, I did my eighth grade career choice on the priesthood, you know. I, really? Yeah, I'll never forget. <laughs> I interviewed this amazing um, amazing priest that i grew up with at saint henry and i'll never forget interviewing him for this little my my little essay i had to do in eighth grade and, and it was on the priesthood and at that time i was so serious about it it was something i really thought that you know god was potentially calling me to to do um and yeah so i interviewed him to to for hmm. um my career choice. What did, what did your family think about that? Oh, they just, they were, they were like, it's so Alan. I mean, <laughs> my, my, you know, it, 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 I, I remember even my peers, they would call me the Rev, you know, it hmm. was just kind of like, I was the guy who I like to talk about God, you know, um, you know, when I was young. So, um, I think that it didn't surprise my family at all at that time, to be honest. They they were not surprised and, and, and so supportive. I have a great family who's been supportive of yeah. every aspect of my life. That's great. I know um, it's, it's Catholic families are always, uh, it's kind of a running joke that, you know, they want to have, they have lots of kids and all of them are going to get married and have lots of babies. And if not, yeah there's going to be a priest and yes, yes. that's just like the pride and joy that of their it. family. Yes. And then you can, you know, do all everyone's weddings and all the funerals for the whole family and everyone's yes. happy. So yeah. I'm sure they were thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that is so true. So true. <laughs> so what, um, so what, what happened? What, um, w- w- walk, walk me through what was going on 
when you turned 17 and, and, and you started asking questions, what were, what was going through your mind then? Um, I, I was 15 years old when I came out to my mom, um, mm. and I came out as gay, um, and that, and I didn't want to be, you know, and I felt like I had this huge conflict in my life. And at that time, I felt like there was a choice I had to make. And that choice was either you can continue on and, and be honest with who you are and not have a relationship with God or any sort of religion, or you can choose to have a relationship with God and be active in your faith and be quiet about being gay. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that was a choice that I, I didn't want to have to make, and that caused yeah. so much conflict in my life. Mm. Um, and I, I, I really—that's really when I began to really disassociate, disassociate myself with with religion and with God um, and with church. And um, you know, I guess ultimately, when I look, when I think back, I made that decision to kind of you know, say, Hey, this is who I am. I'm gay. So, and I felt like at that time I couldn't be a man of faith. Hmm. It sounds like you, you were pretty confident though, like at 15 coming out and that you, it sounds like you wanted to really live into that first and foremost, that maybe the faith piece was something you would figure out after that. Is that yeah. Kind of how it was. I think that's really, I think that's pretty accurate. Um, it, when I, when I look back, I mean, I was very verbal about this is who I am. Yeah. And if you don't like that, um, I think I acted more like I don't care. I really, really cared though. Um, I really yeah. wanted people to love all of who I was. You know, um, I was kind of a goody-goody growing up, you know, (laughs) and I mean, I wanted people to like me. It was really important for me. And, you know, I was pretty out loud about who I was Mm. and, um, you know, but there was, there was sadness inside that whole time. Yeah. I bet. I... I relate. Yes. <laughs> I relate hardcore. Um, how was, how was it coming out to your family? I'm so blessed. I mean, l- let me just say how privileged I am when it comes to a supportive family. I, my mother is amazing. Um, I'm a mama's boy <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, she has, oh, she's been so supportive. Um, I was 15 when I told my mom and uh, I was on a three-way call in my bedroom with two of my friends. And um, at that time they actually, they knew I was gay. I had told them. Okay. And um, I said, I think I'm going to go do it. And they said, go do what? I need to go tell my mom that I'm gay. And I mean, they were scared for me. I'll never forget it. And I walked down to 
downstairs and my mom, she was sitting at the computer, actually. I'll never forget it. And I was shaking and she turned around and she said, what is wrong? Mm. Started crying. I just lost it. And my exact words were, I think I'm gay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she just hugged me. She brought me out. She brought me to the couch and she, she set me on the couch and she just hugged me. And she held me. Um, and she said, you know, you're, you're my son and I love you and we'll get through this. And so that was my experience of coming out to my, my mom. Um, it was really, a. am I'm grateful for that experience because I mm. almost immediately felt a sense of relief. Yeah. Um, and then we, my, my father, he's amazing and, and wonderful um, and loving. It's been a little bit of a different journey. And before I go into that, I just, I want to say how far he has come, um, mm. you know, but he, we ended up, uh, my mom wanted to wait just a little bit to tell dad. Uh, so we, we waited, I think my mom, if I remember correctly, waited about a year, maybe. Mm, wow. Yeah. And, uh, and then we ended up because of certain things that were happening in my life. I was in and out of Vanderbilt, a psychiatric hospital, uh, had ulcers that kept coming up. My mom, she really felt it was necessary to say, this is what's going on with your son. And I need mm. to tell you, and you need to be okay with it. <laughs> and, mm. um, and she, she ended up telling my dad. Um, and I'll never forget. He called me into his, his room where he always watched TV. He was sitting in his recliner. Um, and he said, you know, well, your mom's told me something about you. He said, I, I don't know that I really understand it right now, but I want you to know that I will always love you and you're my son. Hmm. It's all I needed to hear at that time. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but he is, he's really um, come a long way and, and he's always been supportive, always. Even when he didn't understand it, he was supportive. So mm. that was a blessing to have parents that, you know, were both really, I mean, fully accepting of, of who I was. Um, and then I have two sisters as well, two older sisters. I'm the youngest. And um, they've both been very, very supportive from the beginning. I've been really blessed when it comes to family. I, I really That's have. great. Yeah. It's a blessing to know. I think it's a blessing to have that like assurance inside yourself um, that this is who I am um, yeah. when it comes to matters of faith, but also matters of sexuality. And then, and then it's, it's another, it's an even bigger blessing to have a whole um, support system yeah. to, to fall into. Um, with, even if it's just one or two people, right. um, it sounds like you had that, which is really great. Yes, yes. How was um, how was how did things unfold being at um, at a Catholic school when you were coming out? Oh goodness, it was scary. <laughs> <laughs> it really was, but I really think I was in that. Um, I don't know if I'll, I'll refer to it as this phase of my life where. I wanted to be so strong about like, this is who I am. And, you know, you can't tell me otherwise. Um, And it's just, it's so interesting because I was hurting so much inside. Listen, when you're in a high school at that age, 
you're going to have people that are going to say mean things. Um, Mm -hmm. And there were definitely people who said mean things, Um, you know, but there was also such a large amount of people who really loved me and supported me in high school. Um, I think what was the most hurtful for me was hearing those bits and pieces in your religion class when you hear that it's a sin. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what devastated me. That's what hurt. Um, and, and I really was someone who had that. I didn't discover this until later on in my life. Um, but that internal homophobia, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I really believed what I was being taught in religion class or by religious leaders. I believe those things, those, those false teachings that, um, you know, it's a sin to be gay and that hurt, um, you know, and I began to actually, you know, I was the, my own worst enemy, you know, the one who really, I think I was more mean to myself than anyone else was to me. How did you come out of that time? Was there a moment where you started to, where you started to get answers to the questions that you had? Yes, absolutely. There, so to give you just a little bit of kind of my journey. So when I had, when I had those uncomfortable feelings come up, um, I discovered alcohol and drugs. Um, Mm. And that for me was that immediate gratification that I was looking for. And I needed something to numb how I was feeling um, because I felt really uncomfortable and I felt really sad and lonely and anxious. And I felt, here's the big one for me, unworthy, Mm. not, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. it was, you know, I'll never forget the first drink I took. um, And, uh, it gave me that feeling that I thought that I was looking for. And it took me to a different world where I didn't have to feel uncomfortable feelings anymore and I could escape. And yeah. so, you know, the next several years of my life were an act of addiction, alcohol, and, and really any drug that I could get my hand on, I used, mm. um, you know, you name it, methamphetamine, cocaine, alcohol, benzodiazepine, Xanax, you know, anything that would give me that immediate gratification. Um, and my life just really began to spiral, um, yeah. begin to lose those supportive relationships in my life. You know, um, I had a sister that didn't want to have much to do with me, wasn't allowed to be around my nieces and nephews. Um, but to answer your question, I, I ended up getting sober um, on July 19th, 2013 is my sobriety date. So this summer I'll celebrate seven years of sobriety, but recovery. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Recovery and sobriety brought me to a new way of life and helped me love 
myself unconditionally. And I think that that is kind of what opened the doors for me to kind of get back to that healthy place. Um, is sobriety and recovery and really taking that journey to figure out who, who I really am and to love who I really am. It's so important. And yes. thanks for, thank you for, for opening this up and, and sharing this. Cause I think, I think it's not um, uncommon to have these, these, these feelings of I'm not worthy um, when, when we come out and society says one thing, but then also when we come out and, and our church says one thing. And so, yeah, there's just all kinds of like <laughs> emotional and mental um, pain that kind of gets factored into that. And, um, and it's, it's hard. It's so hard. So much. And, and we look at that as, you know, when I think of a sanctuary, when I think of a church, when I think of religion, you want to think of that as a safe place. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it became a very, very unsafe place for me, you know, and that was so devastating. And I think that that is ultimately what took me down, you know, that I think religion and church and faith and people that I looked up to who were religious, when they tell me that I am wrong um, or I'm not worthy, then or I don't have a seat at this table, that really, really hurts. Churches need to be a safe place, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah. unfortunately, that's not always the case. Yeah. And then, yeah, and I think it it varies for every for every person. I've I've grappled with this myself, and I and I've heard different theories on this. But you know, sometimes it's our it's our call to, as queer people of faith, it's our call to go into our churches and and raise them to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes that's that's harmful for us. It's it's hard to um, to be there and to hear those messages too. And so. Um, we have to do what's healthy as well. And for a lot of us, we've been raised in one tradition that probably wasn't putting out the healthiest messages. And so maybe we need a little distance mm-hmm. and that's that's part of the journey too. Um, what was, I mean, it sounds like um, your, your journey towards sobriety um, and recovery, like it just sounds like that was really life-giving ultimately. What was that? What was that process like, and what did you, what did you learn about yourself in that time? Oh yes, um, you know, I, th- I think one of the very first things that that I did was you really learn in this this program that I I've been working for the last seven years um, involves you know twelve steps. Yeah. There's there's this idea of stepping out of the way and not trying to control everything. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of the very first thing that, um, that I did was really learn how to step out of the way. Um, and this, 
and let me say this is a, a daily <laughs> reminder for myself. Um, but what that did is give me an opportunity to have something bigger and better come back into my life. Um, you know, and a lot of us in the program, you know, we do say higher power um, because that can look so different for everyone. And, and, you know, for some people that may not be that traditional God that we sometimes hear about. Um, and now I, I choose to call my higher power God. And so I, that's what I like to refer to. You know, and sometimes I say the divine or the divine spirit, um, or sometimes I'll even say the one who's bigger and better. You know, um, mm -hmm. those are kind of the terms I use. But, but anyway, it was that being able to introduce that back into my my life, and and really what I did, I made a list of what characteristics I want God to be what what i want god to look like for me and i wanted this compassionate god and this loving god and this god of e equality and you know i redefined who god was for me um and that really began a process for me to begin this faith journey again um and it was this new faith where i didn't have to make a choice Mm. Um, you know, it was this idea of, you know, I can be this out and proud gay man um, and also this man who is on this faith journey to have to not have to make that choice has been really healing for me, really healing. Mm. It's um, it sounds a lot like um, what we talk about in divinity school, but also what um, is kind of becoming popular, I think, in in the uh, religion and spirituality realms these days of talking about deconstructing our faith um, and sort of pulling apart all the all the things that we were taught about our religion growing up, and then sitting with all the pieces, and then eventually reconstructing and and um, and deciding, okay, this is actually what I what I think. But it sounds like you walked through that process um, in recovery, which is um, really cool. It's really nice to have kind of people around you that you that that you can relate to, and that they can relate to you. That fellowship, you know, that community, mm -hmm. you know, that we seek to find in church. Um, you know, I was able to really find that in recovery, um, and I'm like, oh. Oh, I'm not alone. Oh, you feel yeah. like this too. Oh, you are a gay man who, um, you know, was had wanted faith and, and didn't feel like you could have both and turned to drugs and alcohol. Um, and to have that people around me who I could relate to was helpful as well. And this idea that faith is... I mean, it changes for me every day. And I think there's some mm. beauty in that, you know, like I can reconstruct and deconstruct on a daily basis. And I love that. And I, and to be okay with that, you know, to be okay with, you know what, today, my faith is just, it's not there. It's not strong today. Um, 
and to be okay with that, I think has, has helped me too. That's just part of the, that's part of the journey. We don't always talk about that though. You know, we don't, we want to talk about faith and belief, but we don't always want to talk about doubt and, um, and, and, and fear or shame or anything like that. It's, um, it's not as glitzy. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's so yeah. true. And that's why one of the things I do now where I'm actively involved in church, I say, I, I give a welcome message. And part of that welcome message, I always say, no matter what you believe or what you may doubt, you are welcome mm. here. So tell, tell me how you've gotten to the place you are now with your church. Um, what was, um, what did you eventually reconstruct here for yourself as far as the faith that you, um, that you've chosen to practice? Well, I fell in love. No, I, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. We can yeah. start there. <laughs> I was on a a church hunt. You know, I went to a, a few different churches in Nashville um, and, you know, would maybe go and then for a few weeks wouldn't go to church. Um, usually I was finding myself back at a Catholic church just because I was familiar with that. Um, yeah. But I eventually... Um, I met someone and we met playing in a LGBTQ sports league uh, here in, in Nashville. So I'll ever, I'll be ever grateful uh, for hot mess sports. Um, so Stephen was very active at Glendale United Methodist church and I had never been to United Methodist church before. I didn't know anything about, um, the United Methodist Church, and I fell in love with it uh, pretty quickly, actually. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I just, I kept meeting so many people that were okay with who I was um, and were okay with Stephen and I. And that was, a, that was new for me inside faith that was new for me and um and i kept i kept coming back i kept going back to glendale and got more and more involved um and eventually decided you know it, it took me it took me a while um but eventually i decided that i wanted to make glendale my home and i'll never forget my big old Catholic family coming to Glendale United Methodist Church, um, you know, when I became a United Methodist <laughs> and they were so supportive. And I'll never forget telling my mom, it was almost like I was coming out again to my mom. It was crazy. Years later, I'm like, mom, you know, I know, you know, I've been really involved at Glendale. I said, and, and, and I'm really, I'm, I'm ready to become a United Methodist. You know, I love everything about this, this faith and this church. And I, I can remember she said, 
she did this small little like little grunt like oh and then she said whatever makes you happy <laughs> so and that was my catholic mm. mom just you know <laughs> she um and then my dad jokingly said son you know once you're catholic you're always catholic so <laughs> but <laughs> he was kidding um and 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 i've made glendale my home I'll, I'll, i mean i'll never forget where it was 2017 when we decided that we were going to change a few things about Glendale and we were going to be more verbal through our word and our action about being an inclusive congregation, an inclusive sanctuary. And, and through that, we've seen a lot of growth. It's amazing what happens when you start, you know, living out compassion and love and equality. Um, and we're a safe place, you know, and that's been important for us. We're a safe space for people. Um, a lot of people who come to Glendale are, are wounded. You know, they've been wounded by the church or they're looking for a place that's, that's full of love and compassion, um, you know, and that's what Glendale is. And that's what it's been for me. So it sounds like you really found a home at Glendale, how has it been sort of adjusting um, your theology, your religious practice from um, from traditional uh, Catholic mass? Mm. It, you know, I mean, to be honest, in the beginning, it was a little, I mean, it was unfamiliar. It was, it was, it was different. And I would be lying if, if I said that there were not you know, when I'm sitting in service at Glendale, if, if there weren't things that I missed about, you know, a Catholic Mass, it's really been wonderful for me to to get introduced to something different outside of that Catholic bubble as well. Um, and it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful to be a someone who is gay and someone who is able to have an opportunity to be a leader, um, mm. you know, mm. the church. And, and I don't know if that would be granted to me um, in the Catholic church or where I grew up. I, I don't know if that, that would happen, um, but it has been a little bit of a, you know, a journey to adjust to, you know, something that I wasn't familiar with. What are, what are some of those things that you feel like you're getting um, licensed to do now? You know, it, one of them is I am the lay leader at, at Glendale, um, and I'm able to really be a bridge between the, um, the community, the, the congregation, and the pastor, um, and, and I love that. I love, love giving the welcome message every Sunday morning um, to the, the community. And that message is, I think it's really defined who Glendale is. Yeah. It sounds like you're getting to step into some of the roles of that eighth grade project of looking at into being a priest, like you're getting to speak in front of people, you're getting to, to teach. Um, I mean, is that, 
Is that how it feels? It is. It is very much how it feels. And, you know, I've always really felt that there was some sort of calling in, in ministry. I, I, and I don't know if I still know what that looks like. I have a much better idea than I think I, I, I used to. Um, you know, it changes for me a lot. Um, you know, my, one of my passions is, um, you know, just being able to help people, um, I get to do that, you know, through my current career. Um, you know, I work in substance abuse. What ultimately almost took me down, I get to now, you know, be in a career where I get to help people. So to be able to intertwine, um, you know, faith and therapy, I think that that's ultimately where, where God wants me to, to be. The idea of intertwining faith and therapy, that's, um, that's such important work, I think, because the spiritual and the, um, and the spiritual realm as well as mental health just are so intertwined. What do you, um, how do you envision those coming together for you? For me, that looks like, um, really being able to address and heal and talk about mental health and substance abuse inside and outside of the church. Um, and I think, I think you're right. I think spirituality plays a really, really big part in that for people. Maybe not for everyone, but for a lot of people, that healing journey, mm -hmm. you know, some, for some, I think spirituality plays a big role in that. Uh, you, know, you talked earlier about uh, coming out or kind of in that first, maybe it was in the first year of recovery, um, defining who you wanted God to be for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um has that changed? What does that look like now? There's always, there's always one word that I associate with the God of my understanding, and that is compassionate. Um, you know, the God of my understanding is someone who, you know, loves all of who I am. Um, and, and I, I mean, God is, is love, you know, and that is really how I, I define that for me. And, and I think there's so much beauty also in that there's days when I, I do doubt. Um, I had someone send me a message today and they asked me, they said, what's the scariest part for you when you take when you take that leap into faith and my answer was the uncertainty uh, for me it's there's so much uncertainty in faith you know and and i think that's okay i think that's actually really healthy um, and that the god of my understanding can can take it when i'm angry <laughs> when i'm angry at, at God or when I'm angry at life or at myself and that's okay. Um, 
Um, I think that the God of my understanding is just um, okay with, with all of who I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. That's comforting for me. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I think, I mean, just hearing hearing your whole story, it's 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 like you knew who you were and who you wanted to be from so early on. It's incredible. And, and it's really, I mean, and I feel like I relate to this a ton. Like it just, so much of this journey we kind of go on after those early years of life is almost kind of just convincing everyone else that that's okay. (laughs) When really it's also kind of partially convincing ourselves that's okay. Like that all these things about us belong. Um, And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really beautiful journey. Yes, it is. What advice might you give to people that are on the cusp of of coming out or on the cusp of especially coming out in their faith tradition? Um, what what encouragements might you give folks um, who are about to embark on what you've, um, I think, really um, overcome over these last few years? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, a really good question. And I think one that is important. (laughs) Um, I think that I would start out by saying, be gentle with yourself. Um, Be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself. Gentle, patient, and kind. Um, And that you are worth it. Um, You are worth being all of you who you are in in a community of faith. Hmm. You are enough, you know, and you deserve a a safe space um, to be who you are. And to build a relationship with, with you know, something spiritual. Hmm. <sighs> that um that that just leads so nicely to a question I, I like to ask a lot of people. Um, it's just how are you taking care of yourself now? And and I might just add, kind of using your words, how are you how are you practicing kindness to, to yourself right now? You know, it's. I mean, that it's a journey, you know, (laughs) it's a daily journey, um, you know, to do that. Um, One of the things that I, I say to myself every morning is you are enough. Meditation is not easy for me at all because my mind is, is constantly, um, in thought. <laughs> um, but I'm, I've really grown to love labyrinths. And, and so I've been kind of practicing that to take care of myself and to be with me, um, you know, and to step away from the, the hustle and bustle of life. Um, you know, relationships and work and school. And, you know, there, there are days when we aren't kind to ourselves. So, for me, it is, it's kind of being still and being, being present and in a moment, mm. um, you know, and saying, saying those things out loud, 
you know, that mm-hmm. you are enough. Mm. What are, um, and uh, recognizing that for some folks, labyrinths may be um, something they haven't really practiced before. What's, what's kind of your approach toward uh, going into a labyrinth? I've heard of um, some different ones. I'm one who I have to have something that I'm, um, you know, potentially like reading or, or saying out loud to myself as I'm a walking through a labyrinth, this walking meditation. It could be a prayer of some kind. It could be even, you know, a small scripture that I'm focusing on, or it could be me just focusing on how I can be more kind to myself. And I think about those as I, as I walk the path to the center of the labyrinth. And then when I get to the center, that's when I can really be still. I can be in prayer. Um, you can sing a song, you know, mm-hmm. do what, whatever you want. Um, and then as I, as I make my way back out of the labyrinth, that's when I really kind of look at what I'm, I'm letting go of. And for me, it's, it's letting go of some of those character defects. It's letting go of those, maybe some of those unkind things that I say to myself or to others um, and being able to let those goes in that, let those go in that moment. <sighs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to to add before we uh, before we close? Oh, just a gratitude uh, for this opportunity, just to be able to kind of share some of my story. You know, you kind of talked about it in the beginning, Greg, but um, you know, I really, I almost, I'll say, I almost selfishly sometimes share my story for myself. Um, because it really does remind me of, you know, where I have come from, you know, where I am going and where I am now. Um, and it is healing for me. So um, just grateful for the opportunity to share, share my voice um, and my story. And I'll leave with this. This week, I received a text message from a father of a beautiful six-year-old girl that comes to Glendale United Methodist Church. And whenever Stephen and I walk in the doors on a Sunday, uh, she, she does one of those running hugs, you know, mm-hmm. runs down the hall and just wraps her arms around you. And it kind of takes all your pain away you know, those hugs, (laughs) that's what she does every Sunday. And she was recently given an assignment at school. And um, the teacher asked her to draw a picture of her favorite thing about her neighborhood. Well, she lives right behind the church. And she drew a picture um, of her in the middle of Stephen and I at the church and it's moments like that when 
when I think faith is working, you know, when, when I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, she's, she's being able to, to grow up in this loving environment around two gay men who are good role models for her, or I hope we are at least. (laughs) Um, And, and to be able to, for her to, to be able to get introduced to that and to see that, you know, is, is pretty awesome. And so that was my, my story this week that just mm-hmm. gave a lot of gratitude, um, a lot of gratitude. So that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for, for sharing your story. Thank you for, for being this, this, leader in your church and for being this role model so clearly too like just thank you for um for being true to who you are and um for giving us the time tonight to to um to look back and and to hear your journey it's um it's really been a pleasure thank you thank you thank you so much greg A special thanks to alan for coming on the show you can find him on instagram at alan whitley You'll find that link in the show notes, along with other resources mentioned in this episode. I'm your host, Greg Thompson. Our editor is Cariette Harmon, and our theme music is by J.P. Ruggieri. And we actually recorded this episode from my apartment here in Nashville as we embrace working from home during the coronavirus pandemic. A huge thanks to Cariad and also my friend Will Potter for consulting on our sound equipment as we record from home. And a special thanks this week to Patreon members Lindsay Dye, John Sullivan, and Michael Kretz for their support. Remember, you can become a member and get access to exclusive digital content and merchandise starting at just $1 a month. Learn more at patreon.com outloudstories. You can also give us a one-time donation over on Venmo at outloudstories. And if you haven't already, please be sure to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, hit that subscribe button so you get the latest episodes right when they drop. And we are taking a break and will return in the fall with new episodes. We hope that our season so far has been uplifting for you. If you have a message for us in the meantime, please find us on social media at Out Loud Stories, and you can sign up for our email newsletter on our website at outloudstories.com. In the meantime, remember friends, queer people have faith lives too. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Thanks for listening.